Well, as you know, we have been working our way through Galatians. We've actually put Galatians on hold for a little while. Apologies, Dave. But uh, we'll come back to Galatians in about October time. Just felt in the current season we're at, we need to push the pause button and reflect on where we're at as a church in this current season and speak into that a lot more and what God has to say on the subject of, particularly of change, of vision, and the challenges that come with that as well. So this morning... I want to speak into, specifically into the into this season of change and about what it means to take risks for God. That scary word, risk. What does that mean? What does that look like? And uh, we are in a season of change as Beacon. We're going to a new home in two weeks' time. But uh, there's other changes afoot behind the scenes and, and other stuff going on at Beacon as well. We're in a, it can be an unsettling time for us, can't it? We're just not quite sure what's around the corner, quite sure what 2014 is going to look like and so on. But also as individuals, some of us are in the middle of job changes, family changes, house changes, stuff where you know changes coming up but you've no idea what it's going to look like. So all of us are in different positions at the moment. It can be scary. What does it mean to take a risk? What does it mean to want to stay where we are and keep the status quo? Tempting, isn't it? There's a few giggles already. It can be scary and I want to just address this and hopefully encourage you to understand what it means to take a risk in God as opposed to just taking risks or hiding in our comfort zones as well, of course. What does risk mean? To be exposed to danger or loss is probably the best summation of what that word means. To be exposed to danger or loss. And there are two types of risk. What kind of loss are we talking about? That could mean life. You go to war as a soldier or you go to preach the gospel in a country where it's yeah, death penalty if you do kind of thing. You can risk your life. Here in Herne Bay, a little bit less of that going on. But you can lose health sometimes, depending on what you're doing. You can risk losing money. It's a big thing for us today, isn't it? An even bigger thing, perhaps, is risking losing face. It's a big thing for us. 21st century Britain. We don't like losing face, do we? There's another, the other end of the spectrum, there is another type of risk, of course, which is just reckless risk. Kids that do tombstoning down in Plymouth, jumping off cliffs up to 70 feet high, they're risking their lives just to try and outdo each other. It's ridiculous. But they do that. That is one kind of risk we're not talking about here. That's just reckless. But every day, all of us here, we risk every day. You risked this morning. Do you know that? You took a risk. When you placed your pert little bottoms on those chairs, you were trusting they would take your weight. It's a kind of risk. But also... We risk. What else do we risk? When, we, when we're driving, actually. It's always the other driver's fault, isn't it? We always moan about them and not realise what we've been up to. Farmers risk. When they plant the seed, they are risking next year's income. They're trusting it's going to yield enough to provide an income to survive and keep the business afloat. When we invest money or remove money from the stock market, it's always a risk. We try and calculate it, but it's still a risk. You don't know what's around the corner. We loved the idea of investing in property until recently. <laughs> and things change almost overnight. We risk when we place our bodies in the surgeon's hand. We're trusting it's a risk. What are the chances of it going wrong? They give you the percentages of this might happen and 10% chance your head will fall off or whatever. I could, I could spend this morning just giving you pithy, encouraging quotes about risk. Go out on a limb because that's where the fruit is. Or I can say, yeah, all right. I could do that. I don't want to do that. I want to know what the Bible has to say on this subject. I want to know what God has to say. 
Do you want to turn to Joshua chapter 2? I want to keep in the same vein of where we've been recently. 18 months ago when Ben Goodman, our friend from the States, came and he prophesied, he shared God's heart over us as Beacon and he's coming again week on Wednesday. Really excited. And we're actually seeing what he shared with us, God's heart. We're seeing that happening now. He was talking about the people of Israel when they reached the Jordan. They had to step across the Jordan to go into the promised land that God had given them. They chickened out. They sent spies in. Ten of them came back and go, not on your nelly. Big giants, they all look like Dwayne Johnson and we're not going over there. And two out of the twelve said, God's in this. But they chickened out. And Ben was talking to us about spiritual bravery, about the time has come for us to cross the Jordan as Beacon Church. And we're seeing that now. But then John fed on the back of that last week when he mentioned about the spies crossing the Jordan and about actually the two that did actually see the vision. They grasped the vision going, yes, it is scary, but God is with us. Two out of twelve. That's a bad turnout, isn't it? But John, John was sharing us and encouraging us last week that when you see a vision and we understand and we believe it is from God, there are challenges involved, but we trust him. And I just want to continue that theme Continue this same kind of part of Israel's history as well. And reading from Joshua 2, I want to share about someone special. Her name was Rahab. And she took a big risk for God. A big risk for God. But I just want to learn some little lessons. I've got four little points that I want to share this morning from Rahab. What we can learn from this woman. She's an amazing woman who was by no means perfect. But then neither am I. And that's the point. But we can learn a lot from her. Joshua chapter 2. We're reading from the NIV this morning. Okay. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. This is uh, is decades later. This is two more spies compared to the previous part of the story. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Whacking great city there. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. How he knew it was Rahab. Big brother's watching you, isn't it? Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, And what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts sank and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the man assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. 
Now she had said to them, go to the hills so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. The men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days, until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, came to Joshua son of Nun and told him everything that had happened. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. If you want to find out what happened to Rahab, end of chapter 6, verse 22. About two weeks later, the people of Israel cross the Jordan, come up to Jericho, and they spend a week as the world's largest marching band, marching around in response to what God's told them to do, marching around the city of Jericho, and the walls crumble. Rahab's house is safe. Verse 22 of Joshua 6. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Hallelujah. Lord, just as we learn from Rahab this morning, may it be something that we do understand is still relevant to us today. It's not just a story from the history books, but it's something we can take home that you are speaking to us. Lord, I pray each one of us in this room, may we go home with, we, no, we won't go home without you having spoken to us, we pray. In Lord Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. What can we learn from Rahab? Four points, first one of all. She left the ultimate comfort zone. Where was her house? It was inside the city walls. She wasn't even living inside a great big fortified city. She lived inside the fortification itself. It's fascinating, isn't it? And yet what came tumbling down when the Israelites marched around and God showed his power? The walls. Even her own safe, ultimate comfort zone wasn't that safe after all, was it? On paper, it would have been easier for her to keep her head down, live in fear along with the rest of Jericho, but hope for the best. She stuck her neck out, didn't she? She hid them at pain of death if she got caught. But the easier thing to do would have been not to do anything. Or try and win favour with the king of Jericho and go, yeah, I've got them, they're in my lounge. But she didn't, did she? Who can relate to hoping for the best and trying to keep your head down? Stick your head in the sand. We've all done it, I'm sure. But she recognised something was at play here. 
She recognised something that was at play. She could stay in her comfort zone or she could risk everything. But when our creature comforts are holding us back, something has gone horribly wrong, isn't it? Because what does that tell us about our attitude to our creature comforts? We're placing them on a pedestal before God, effectively. We all like it. We all like to know where we stand. We all like to know where we feel safe. But is that in God? Or is it in our stuff or the people around us? You see, staying in our comfort zone comes from a fear of what's on the outside or a reliance of what's on the inside. Does that make sense? Doesn't it? So as we end up placing a reliance then on what we know rather than who we know. But still the big temptation is to stay in our comfort zone with our creature comforts and not step out. It's a big temptation, isn't it? But to encourage you, God led the greatest example in that and that Jesus stepped out of the ultimate comfort zone. He didn't have to. He came down to our little planet to live a life of poverty, of hardness, of suffering, of persecution, of torture and of death. He didn't have to. Why? Because the preferable future was worth far more than the immediate pain. And Rahab saw that. She placed faith in this God she didn't know until then. She recognised him for who he was. She knew she was risking all. But she was willing to step out of her comfort zone and place her trust in him because the preferable future was worth far more than the immediate pain of leaving all that behind. See, Jenny and I at the moment... We're going through the process to become foster carers. And that not just can upset everything at home, that probably will upset everything at home. That's going to turn everything up on its head. It's something that has not let us go since the 90s. We tried to ignore it for a little while, and it wouldn't let us ignore it. But we are taking a risk in that. That's going to affect me, it's going to affect Jenny, it's going to affect our relationship together, it's going to affect Amy. And we're trusting God it will make us stronger as a result. But we've got to do it his way to do that. But that is a big risk. Amy's iPad could end up down the toilet. I've tried to explain this to her. She, at the moment she's got this Disney image of rescuing an orphan with a little suitcase, scuffed knees and a doll with an arm missing. <laughs> Darling, it's a little bit more than that. You don't know what they've been through. The dog could end up dyed blue, up a chimney, I've no idea. Or more. They could set fire to the house, who knows. We're taking a risk, but we're trusting this is what God is calling us into as a family. But it's a risk. Why? Because the preferable future that we've been able to pay for, more of the grace that he has poured upon us to children that wouldn't otherwise get it. They are crying out for foster places in this country, adoption places as well. There's a new initiative going on at the moment for the church to rise up and meet the challenge. You're going to be hearing a bit more of that from me over the next few years. I ain't going to shut up. We can, we, can, we can make a difference to a child or some children that we feel God is gifting us to be able to do. And that is going to be hard. That is going to be painful for us. We're also going to have to say goodbye to these children from time to time. That's going to be hard. We'll have made an emotional connection with them. We're taking a risk because the preferable future far outweighs the immediate pain. Does that make sense? We could easily stay in our comfort zone, but God won't let us. 
So pray, pray for us. There's another reason why I'm sharing it. We need the prayer. So she's, she left her ultimate comfort zone. So what did she do? Secondly, she placed herself in God's hands. On immediate skim reading of this, it looks like she's placing her trust in the men. And they're going, yeah, if, as long as you keep your mouth shut, we'll help you out. But you read further down, it's all about God. When we heard of this, talked about the Israelites were coming and what they've been up to, our hearts sank, everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven, above and on the earth below. She's not an Israelite. She's never known God until now. She comes out with a statement like that. That's mind-blowing. She's playing seeing her trust in God's hands. That's my second point. God's hands, not our own. This isn't her using clever, conniving, behind-the-scenes skullduggery and if I'll help you out, you'll help me out. And don't worry about the king of Jericho. Can I be with you? It's not, she's not actually placing herself in her hands and her clever thinking. She's placing herself in God's hands. See, God expects us to risk, actually. Doesn't expect us to be reckless. Jumping out in front of a speeding car because God's got my back, 99% chance you're going to end up as jam on the tarmac still. I'm a paramedic, I've seen it, it happens. God expects us to not be stupid, but he does expect us to be children. It's very different. He doesn't expect us to act like idiots, but he does expect us to be childlike, placing ourselves in our Father's hands. And the more we grow in our relationship with him, we know where he's calling us out to take risk. This isn't just taking the risk for the sake of it. Does that make sense? See, stepping out of our comfort zone is an act of worship. And I really, really, really want to stay here, but I'm trusting you. It's like we are saying this morning about sacrifice of praise. I really, really, really want to stay in bed. Or I really, really, really want to sit in the chair, curl up because I'm shattered and I had a late night last night watching too many Blu-rays. But I'm going to step out and praise you because you deserve it. That's an act of worship, stepping out of our comfort zone. Knowing that God has got our back. Fostering, we don't know what kind of children we're going to get but we're trusting him that they'll be the right ones. Even if at the time we don't think they are. We've got to trust him in that. Us as a church, moving to Briary School, this is a whole new paradigm shift for us as a church, isn't it? This is a whole new thing. We don't know what's around the corner. We don't know where it will lead. Most of you don't even know what the hall looks like. It's true. Scary, isn't it? But this is an act of worship. We're responding to the fact that we believe God has spoken and we're trusting him. How do we know God has spoken? David will be speaking more on that next week. <laughs> I defer to him. No. We, I'm sure most of you know the story, we believe God has spoken quite clearly about being moved into a bigger plant pot and we believe this is the bigger plant pot and God will bless that in a big way. But David will be speaking next week on how do we hear from God? It's the thing a lot of times we can struggle with. Have I heard right? Because then we start questioning ourselves when we're in the risky place. Oh, maybe I got it wrong. But God does speak and he can speak. We believe as a church this is what God is calling us into. But it's still scary. It doesn't take scariness away from it, does it? I'm wary of time. I don't want to race on too much, but I'm just wary of time. So firstly, she left her great comfort zone. She didn't just leave her comfort zone, she placed herself in God's hands, secondly. 
Thirdly, I want to spend a little bit more time on what was she risking? My third point is that she risked her livelihood as well as her life. See, it's hard, 21st century England, to relate to risking your life. You hear about other people doing it in other countries, for example. Here, really, it's hard to really emotionally get what that feels like. But we can relate to the fact that she risked her livelihood. She was dependent on others. She had a business. We won't go into the details of that business. She's called a prostitute in here. Others have tried to translate it as innkeeper. Actually, you read it elsewhere. Other references to her. She was a prostitute. A lady of real repute. She had a lot of men coming in and out of her house. And it's probably through them she got to hear about what had been happening with the Israelite people on the other side of the Jordan. She was dependent on that for an income. She was willing to say goodbye to that. She wasn't, I'm bringing my client list with me, was she? Thankfully. God would have said no. But she was risking her livelihood because she's dependent on others. But also others were dependent on her. Her family. She lists her whole family and not just her parents and brothers and sisters, but all who were dependent on them. There must be quite a crowd in this house, squeezed in, when she gathered them under her roof. They were dependent on her. And on their behalf, she was risking their lives as well. (laughs) You're coming with me, but you don't know yet. That's a massive risk. But of course, also, if she'd been caught, she risked immediate death for hiding these spies. What does that look like today? How can we relate to this? Turn to Matthew chapter 6. This is something Jesus says. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. This is a big issue for all of us. This is a big issue for me. And I find it hard, and I struggle with this. But this is what Jesus says, and we need to trust this. Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Who worries about their life? Is it just me? No. What you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear... Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Who's never worried? We've all done it. We all do it. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, doesn't it, Just? We can all hope for a decent pension fund, and it's wise to steward our money to get a good pension fund. We can always hope for the next pay rise. Trouble is we can end up becoming dependent on the next pay rise. They're becoming a bit of a rare creature these days. But we still hope for one, don't we? Because we never have quite enough money to get what we want. 
We rely on the paycheck at the end of the next month. And we also rely on the fact that one's coming after that and after that. Do we place our security in that? I know I do. I'll just get used to the fact that that's definitely coming. Is it? Really? Redundancies here, there and everywhere, anything can happen. But I place my trust in the fact that October's and November's and December's paychecks are definitely... There's no guarantee. Why do I find my security in that? There's a guy called Francis Chan. Check him out on YouTube, buy his books, he's brilliant. And there's this little thing he did with his, his daughter recorded on his iPhone, a little video he did uh, while he was on a plane. It's just a two minutes, he was just talking about daily bread. And he was saying, do we really pray that as a church, just give me my daily bread, enough for today? Of course we don't. Give me a good job that will last until the next one. Make sure I've got enough money to pay all the bills this time next year. But God's just saying, tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. Do you really, really, really trust me? Scary. Really, really scary, isn't it? At some point, I'm not going to be able to sustain being, working for you guys part-time. It's become a full-time job anyway. <laughs> Juggling spinning plates. But, I'm going to have to learn to say no more. But, at some point, I'm going to have to go full-time here at Beacon Church. That's scary for me and for Jenny because that's another wage drop we can't afford. But we need to trust God because we believe that's what God's calling us into. But same for Beacon. That's scary for Beacon. That's a big financial commitment for a small church. Where does our security come from? Is it on the bottom line or is it on God? That's exactly what Rahab was doing. She was willing to risk all of that. Just says, I'm placing myself in your hands. Most of you know Roger and George Eaton who have gone to Lille, plant the church out there. And George did a fantastic blog post just the other day about how they're feeling. She was very honest. Might read a little bit, actually. She, um, they've, they've gone out there and they felt for many years ago was calling to France. Eventually, all the bits of the jigsaw fell into place. And there came a point where Roger had to stop working for City Church and go out and get a job in Lille. And that was a real step of faith. That's a massive thing for their family because he could have been out of work for six, 12 months with no money coming in. It's possible. Let me find what George said. They've just been back over here for a little while and on the way home, when they hit the channel, they kind of got this sense, I don't really want to go back. I miss our friends and family in England. I kind of don't want to go to Lille. Roger said the same. They both felt this. There was a sense that they were doing what God wanted, but there's still this sadness of letting go, coming out of their comfort zone very much. They were risking their livelihood and all sorts. And George says this, talking about a heart. Right now, one half of my heart is in Canterbury and the other is in Lille. My heart and home are finding their way through the emotions. I don't know if they'll ever truly settle in Lille, but that doesn't mean it won't be home and I can't love it. She says, I guess Jesus must have known a heart stroke homelessness. I mean, he left the most beautiful city that ever will exist to come to this funny little planet where he was poor, hated and eventually killed. Our small move across a little pond seems rather insignificant in comparison. Thank God that when we put our trust in him, we can have peace, hope and a home for our hearts. Heroes. They're placing their trust in him. And stuff is falling into place as they stepped out. 
interestingly. Same for the Joneses in Helsinki. You guys got to meet them recently as well. What a step of faith. You speak the language. <laughs> At least Roger and Jules speak French. <laughs> Kevin was quite honest about how much he's struggling with the language. But they are trusting that that's what God is calling them to. They stepped out of their comfort zone. And God is providing as they step out. Jenny and I, as we stepped out into going through the whole process for becoming foster, foster parents, it was only then, once we'd stepped out, that two separate people have had prophetic pictures for us, unbeknownst to them that we were going through this, about us being surrounded by children. They had no idea what we were up to until we told them. It's as we step out, God confirms. <laughs> More grandkids, mother. Yeah. But it's, as we step out, God proves as we step out now for you this could be anything it could be a house move scary isn't it especially the way things have gone recently up and down yay house no house yay house no house buyer no buyer it's scary but you're trusting this is what God wants you to do but it's as we step out God starts speaking this could be a job change this could be money issues this could be family changes Maybe it's just God's asking you to use your gifts more. Scary. Prophetic gifts. Hospitality. None are greater than the others. They're all equal. Whatever your gifts are, it can be scary stepping out on them, can't it? Sharing Jesus with your friends and family. That can be scary because we worry about losing face. It's ridiculous, isn't it, when you think about it like that, isn't it? Jesus versus my status. <laughs> Actually, at the time, we keep our mouth shut sometimes, don't we? Is God asking you to speak out more for him and introduce people to him? Injustice, be it in the workplace or in the bigger picture, is God asking you to speak up when you should do rather than keep quiet when you feel like it? We could lose money, we could lose face, we could lose health. What is God calling you to? What is God calling you into? She risked her livelihood and her life. My last point is that this wasn't blind faith. So I just want to impress on you guys. This isn't just being risky for the sake of it because God wants us to take risks. So we're off to Algeria. See you later. No, it's about relationship with him and asking him what he wants of you. Some of the basics are already in here in black and white. You can't go wrong. But sometimes to personally apply what God says in here, I couldn't leave without the prophetic, to be honest. I could not do it. I don't know how people do lead a church without hearing God's voice. Does that make sense? It just, I, can't, I, don't know how, I physically don't know how people do it, and some do. Some people don't believe in the gift of prophecies still being alive today. I do. Thank God it is. Because I want to hear his voice. We wouldn't, we'd, we'd still be here in our creature comforts rather than going to Briari, wouldn't we? If we hadn't heard from God. This is not about blind faith. But my fourth point is that history taught Rahab of God's faithfulness. She'd heard the stories. She'd seen the evidence. She had a very strong knowledge of Israel's history and of God's power. Presumably through her clients, I guess, as people came and went, visitors, tourists to Jericho came and went through her house. But her response is the complete opposite of Jericho's. She describes what's going on in Jericho. Everyone is living in fear because of what they've heard. So they've heard the same thing. 
But her response, and only her response, is, Lord, have mercy. Isn't that amazing? No one else in a whole city. Because she didn't just hear it, she truly believed it. She didn't just believe the negative aspect of, we're all doomed. But she also believed the positive aspect that he is a good God who will have mercy upon me. I'm risking that. So why do we stay in our comfort zones? Ultimately, it's because of a bad theology. If we stay in our comfort zones because it's safer and it's easier and I can just hide underneath my metaphorical duvet, actually that speaks volumes about what I really think of God. What I really believe the Bible says. He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Well done. But we can say that out loud, but actually our lives don't always live up to what we profess our theology to be. Does that make sense? Read your Bible. Get to know it. Invest in it in your life. Live it out. Because what your life looks like declares your true understanding of doctrine. Or wrong understanding. If you really believe God's got your back, you'll be doing far more than you do now. Me too. If I really believe that. Share testimonies. We want to hear more about what God is up to in your life. Please tell us. Share it from the front, behind the scenes. We need to hear what's going on amongst us and across the churches as well. We need to hear more. Because as we hear what God is up to, it reminds us and stirs our faith to he can do this. And more often than not, he calls us into what is impossible, what is far beyond our own physical abilities to prove himself, to prove his glory. But when we've heard time and time and time again that this is what God does, doesn't just promise but fulfills, we'll step out. Because what happened for Rahab? God came through in a big way. He saved her family, protected her house. As the walls came tumbling down, as the song goes, her house was still standing. Not only that, he poured grace upon grace upon grace on that. She married into one of the leading families of Israel. She became King David's great-great-grandma. And she features glorious highlights in Matthew as part of Jesus' own family tree. An alien prostitute. God was like, come home, daughter. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? God always comes through and his grace erased her past life of shame. The greatest risk you can do right now is place yourself in God's hands. And it's the best risk because it's a win-win situation. You can't go wrong. Because he's a good God and he does good. You can't lose. Know of his faithfulness. If you don't know Jesus, look back over the history of the church. And as much as so often the focus gets on, it's all about religion that causes wars. And the church is corrupt. And actually... There is a whole other side to that coin where you see the glory of what Jesus has done through his church and is still doing. You've just got to look in the right places. It's there. There is evidence. This isn't just a blind faith. This is experience-based, evidence-based, history-based. He proves himself over and over and over again. The evidence for the resurrection is overwhelming. 
The evidence for Jesus as a man of history is overwhelming enough as it is. But the evidence for him as son of God itself is overwhelming. If you don't already know that, come and ask me afterwards. I haven't got time now, but I'd love to share it with you. Placing yourself in his hands as the only way to be right before the holy God. Because he took your place on that cross. It's the best risk you can do because it's a win-win. You can't go wrong. And he proves it over and over again. There are so many people in this room. And that's, that's the big thing here. As I finish, there is a twist here. Quite often we love to look at Jesus as the ultimate example of sacrifice. Why should I step out of my, sac- my comfort zone? Jesus did. Servanthood. He, King, came down and washed his disciples' feet. I can learn from that. We love to see how Jesus is the great example. But actually here, it's not about him being our example. Because does God take risks? No. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows the outcome of all things. You want proof of that? Read 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 2 to 6. Scribble it down and look at it later. God the Father spells out intimate, intricate details of what this person will find on their travels. He knows the outcome of other people's many, many, many little life choices during the day. And he knows exactly what they'll find when they get there. The detail is incredible. It can be held up in court. God knows the outcome of all our choices because he is omniscient, he is all-knowing. Does he take risks? No, he doesn't. But that makes our risk-taking in him even more secure. He doesn't call us into something that might go wrong. Go on, give it a go and I'll see if I can help you along the way. He doesn't do that. Jesus in the garden before he was arrested, he knew exactly what was coming. And he sweated blood, not just because of the physical agony of being on that cross, because of the spiritual agony of knowing he would be carrying the, the world's sin upon his shoulders. He knew what was coming. And he still chose to step through and complete the mission here on earth. Because the preferable future far outweighed the immediate pain. Do you think him placing his church, the future of his church, in the hands of 11, what should we call them? A nice word, I'm on tape here. Motley crew. Could have been rude. A motley crew of 11 guys who even up to that moment still were prone to doubting, to arguing, to timidity. From my point of view, they're the last person I'd have put a church in their hands. They're the last people. Was Jesus taking a risk there? No, he knew exactly what he was doing. Exactly what he was doing. He doesn't take risks, so we can. Because when he calls us to step out, we know he will be alongside us every step of the way and he will come through and pour grace upon grace because we are his children. We won't grow unless we go. That's what we are called as a church in general. The Bible is quite clear. We are called to go and grow. But we won't grow unless we go. Was it Bonhoeffer said? God goes with the goers, works with the workers, doesn't sit with the sitters. Good, not it? It's true. We are called to a bigger plant pot. 
to grow. And we're excited about the growth, but challenged about the, <laughs> the stuff that comes with it. Absolutely. Can we be safe as we go? Absolutely. God doesn't take risks because he knows exactly what he's doing. I will build my church. Not, I'm hoping I'll be able to. I will build my church. My friend Gustav, he says that God's will is not a tightrope. And I like that. I've lived with that ever since I heard that. It's not, I hope I get it right. Oh, I think I heard right from him. I've fallen off. And God's like, well, I'll give you a chance. I'm going to go and try Jeffrey now. He doesn't at all. Sometimes we make mistakes as well, absolutely. But he uses it all for his purposes and he will see his promises fulfilled. It's guaranteed in Christ. The Great Commission at the end of Matthew chapter 28, go and I will be with you. The most reckless thing we can do is try and preserve the status quo. That's dangerous. Because that's about us and not about him then, isn't it? But he is calling us from time to time at different seasons to leave our comfort zones. He's calling us all the time to place ourselves in his hands when need be and he asks us to risk our livelihood. He will always be with you. And we can relax in this knowing we have the word of God to reveal his heart for us at all times and knowing he will fulfill his promises. One more verse to look up as I end. Matthew, uh, sorry, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 35. Start from verse 34. Mark eight thirty-four. This is Jesus. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, creature comforts again, isn't it? And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What's God asking of you? Is he asking you to give anything up? Is he asking you to step out, speak up, give more? What's it, what is it? And again, David can help us next week understand more if we struggle to hear from God. What's God asking of you? Or if you don't know him, but you're feeling that tug in your heart, there is something here that you want to know more of. That something is a person. And his name is Jesus. He's the eternal son of God who died for you. That you can live a life of risk where you place yourself in his hands and he will always, always, always come through. Your eternal future is secure in him, guaranteed. And there are myriad of people who put their hands up and say the same thing. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, life can feel like an ocean where it's up and down and choppy and quiet and it's never guaranteed. We are so grateful that we can cling to you and know you as our firm foundation. We were talking earlier before the service about Jesus as our anchor. You keep us safe. You keep us secure. 
and you're the only one that can. So Lord, as we hear from you, as we step out in faith, in individual circumstances, in the home, in the workplace, wherever it might be, but also as Beacon Church, as we step into a new setting, a new environment, a new neighbourhood, we are placing ourselves in your hands and we say we trust you to come through. That you might show your glory, that it's not about us, and using clever initiatives or strategies, but it's about you and your power coming in power. Holy Spirit pouring out on the people around us. Lord, help us as we go. Speak to us as we go. Help us to learn to love the adventure in you, because then you can do great things. But Lord, we give it all up to you right now, in your precious sweet name, Lord Jesus. Amen.